there is good bad, good stress and bad stress. There's the good stress that gives you that adrenaline rush, right? You're stressed, but you're excited, or you're, you know, you're excited to see someone. See someone. You can get your heart rate going in that regard. But the bad stress is when it really impacts your internal system, and in ultimately that can be from emotional stress, from mental stress, from anything else like that, and it impacts your physical health. You know, health and happiness really stems from the heart. That is one of the biggest things that I believe in. I'm trying to do it myself, and no one's perfect. Hello, everyone. I'm Denise Gorin. Welcome to Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. Thanks for joining us as we speak with experts, authors, parents, and even young adults to explore the transition from parenting our young children to building healthy relationships with our now adults. Hopefully we'll grow together, learn about ourselves, our young adults, and of course, when to bite our tongues. We are so happy you're with us. So let's get started. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. But before we start, you know, I have to remind you, visit our website at biteyourtonguepodcast.com. Click the support us tab in the right hand corner. We hope you'll find a small way to support our podcast. We'd really appreciate it. So today, today we're sharing one woman's story and her quest to be everything to everyone. Does anyone relate to that? When we heard her story, it made us stop and wonder, are we teaching our adult kids to be people pleasers? Or maybe we've already taught them to be people pleasers. Do we try too much to do too much for everyone else and neglect our own health? How can we gain control and be better role models for our adult sons and daughters? And of course, you know, we love sharing stories. And we believe this story is one that will help all of us lead better lives, both physically and emotionally, and build healthy relationships with our adult children. Today, we're talking to Carrie Lee Brown. She's the author of the book, My Heart, Myself, a guide for women who do too much. She also founded an online platform called Red Lily. It's a brand dedicated to women who want to share their stories and support each other. Today, we're sharing her remarkable story that started her on her journey to helping women around the world tell their own stories and live their best lives. Carrie, welcome to Bite Your Tongue. Hi there. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. And so before we start, I'm going to tell a little bit about your story, Carrie, if that's okay, and then it's going to be all you. But let me just do this quick introduction. At 39 years old, Carrie was a successful career woman, mom and wife, trying to do it all. And frankly, she was succeeding. Okay, can all of us relate to that? I sure can. Other than maybe completely succeeding, we're all women, we all have such self-doubt. But anyway, you won't believe this, a heart attack stopped Carrie in her tracks. It was a wake-up call, she says, but it was a wake-up call she needed and a lesson she hopes all of us will learn from. Here's an excerpt from her book. My heart attack literally stopped me in my tracks. In minutes, I was not able to move and my eyes were starting to close. Funny, I felt an incredible desire to fall on the kitchen floor and just go to sleep right there. My husband didn't know what was going on. But this is the important part, guys. This is the part that I really related to. Her husband asked her, should I call an ambulance? No, she screamed. I'll be fine. I just need to lay down. Why do we always think I'll be fine? 
Welcome, Carrie Lee Brown. We're anxious to learn more about this time in your life and this journey that not only changed your life, but inspired you to write your book, My Heart, Myself, A Heartful Guide for Women Who Do Too Much, and to launch Red Lily. So Carrie, tell us a little more about your story. And your book hit me right on the head. It was though you were writing about me. So I really want to talk about it. Tell us how you got to this and what we can learn from it. Absolutely. Well, thank you again for having me on. I think that my journey is not only one that obviously I experienced, but I feel that really resonates with a lot of women. And I've found that more and more ever since I've been telling my story, since this all happened. And you're correct. I wrote my book after I had a heart attack, which literally wiped me off my feet. And I can go back to that time. I was at the height of my media game. I've worked in media and publishing and magazine editing for 25 years now. And I am originally from Toronto, Canada. So before I moved to Denver, Colorado, I was working in media in Toronto. And not only was I running a magazine there, um, and I've run several over the years, I was also I'm an aspiring author. As a journalist, you're a writer anyway, you always kind of aspire to take your, you know, your writing to the next level. So it's very ironic that something happened that really catapulted my um, my writing efforts. So basically what was happening was I was commuting into the city and a lot of people in really big cities have a commute and I was commuting two hours each way. Two hours each way? Yeah. Now, were you married with children at this point? Yes. So I have, well, right now there are 12 and 17, two boys. Obviously this was, you know, nine years ago now that this all happened, but yes. So a lot of people in bigger cities like Toronto, New York, they, they travel in from the suburbs and I was taking the, the train and then I was taking a subway up to the head office of Rogers Media, where I was the executive editor of Today's Parent magazine at the time. Oh my it was very ironic. It was a parenting magazine, a national parenting magazine. And, you know, it's so funny because my history in um, publishing in magazines is has really been in the health and wellness industry. And that's what kind of brought it all together. As the former editor-in-chief of Oxygen Women's Fitness, and I've launched American Health and Fitness Magazine, I have always been immersed in that world. So ultimately, leading healthy lifestyles, watching your stress levels, um, your nutrition intake, your health, your, your exercise, your training, your mental health has always been at the forefront of not only my, my personal life, but my career. Let me ask you this, Carrie, just I don't mean to interrupt because I know you have a lot more to say, but as you say this, so for us to get sort of an inside scoop into this whole journalism profession, you're writing with all of these health-oriented magazines. Yeah. Are the journalists writing? I mean, you've got deadlines, you've got articles to write, you've got photo kinds of things, all these kinds of things. Are you really paying attention to your health, the way your magazine's writing about it, or are you secondary sometimes? Right. Well, I'll admit it. I mean, a big part of this is being vulnerable and admitting you know, some things that you just do not adhere to or practice what you preach. And I must admit, a lot of my self-care was being put to the side at the time. Right. And, and and I still today, I mean, I still do it today, um, but I have to constantly remind myself. So at the time, again, with a big commute, a big job, I also do, did a lot of TV back then as well in regards to my magazine um, position. And I was commuting a lot and it was a hectic lifestyle with two boys at home, husband, and we lived in the suburbs. We lived on a farm, like a ranch, actually. So my commute oh in, everything just added up. And a very two active boys, very active in sports, and you know, getting them to practices and and, and all this different stuff. 
But another big part of it was that I was also trying to be everything to everyone in regards to my social life, mm-hmm. right? Like if the girls asked me to go for, you know, to yoga class or to co- or for coffee, I would try to fit that in as well. And even though I thought that was adhering to my own needs and my own self-care, I soon learned that all of those things can also add up as well. And I had to learn to, you know, cut back. But leading up to what happened and ultimately what led to me writing my book was that I was just to the hilts stressed. And one night at my house, I was putting the boys to bed, literally. I knew I had an early morning the next day at work and it just hit me. And when I say it hit me, it literally hit me. But the biggest problem was, is that it something, it felt like something had hit me in my arm, in my shoulder. And you know how they say, yeah. you know, a lot of the symptoms are, you know, you feel a pain down, a sharp pain down your left side if you're going to have a heart attack. Well, I felt it on my right side and I was really, I, I had no idea what it was. It just kind of literally hit me. And I was, I just got overwhelmed with tiredness and exhaustion. And that's what I was saying with my husband. I, I went downstairs to the kitchen. I'm like, I just have to go to bed. Like something has, I've hit a wall. I basically felt like I'd hit a wall. And, um, but obviously it ended up being more than that. You were 39 years old. Is that right? Correct. I was 39. So you weren't thinking heart attack, stroke, anything like that, right? Absolutely not. Now, so this is the whole thing. In retrospect, and as women, all most women do anyway, we put all of our, you know, aches and pains and symptoms and signs and all of those things aside to get through life. I mean, that's just the way we're built, right? Mm-hmm. So I would have a, you know, a headache or I would, I would be a little bit exhausted and maybe, you know, a little agitated more than normal or be a little bit more out of breath going up and down the stairs thinking, oh, I mean, I, maybe I need to lose a few pounds, you know, like, right, right. Right. That's what women think. And I would- our care is last on our list. Absolutely. And I mean, I think all of that kind of learning happened after this happened to me. And that's ultimately what ended up happening and why I wrote my book. And so I it was a huge release to be able to look back after I obviously survived this. Mm-hmm. I did have a cardiac ablation surgery to rectify my issue. Mm-hmm. My issue ended up being electrical. It was an electrical issue in my heart. Um, and I suffered from PSVT, which was hilarious because I Tell had us it. what PSVT stands for. It stands for Mill, <laughs> if I can say <laughs> that correctly, um, superventricle tachycardia. So PSVT. Okay. And there's, there's, hundreds and hundreds of different arrhythmias and tachycardias that you can get with your heart. I learned all of this actually after having all of this. But the thing was, is that after all this happened, and I went into the doctor, examinations after examinations, EKGs and surgery, I ended up learning that I actually had this um, heart condition or defect since birth. And I didn't know that. So that's what kind of brought it all to the forefront. And as my cardiologist at the time was telling me, he was saying that something would most likely have happened, but I was bringing it on faster with my stress levels. And that's literally what happened. I mean, I probably would have gotten worse if I didn't have this, you know, heart attack knock me off my feet. There's lots of different, obviously, levels of heart attack. We all know that there's major, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. major. And mine was a milder version, but it definitely was. And it's just really interesting because I think it was a huge sign, and I call it my wake-up call, because it really did bring a lot of things to the forefront in my life. And since that, I mean, obviously, I already wanted to 
get the message out there to so many women about balancing work life, which is so ironic with the hecticness I was living. But I knew, I knew there was something pushing me to tell my story. And that's why I wrote, you know, my heart myself. It was just basically about knowing when to slow down and knowing that that pivotal moment is half the battle. It's knowing when to slow down. And then it's also recognizing and doing something about it. How can you recognize when to slow down? Right now, it's become kind of a a sign of success when you say, oh, I'm so busy. Oh, I don't have time for that. Call my assistant, you know, whatever it might be. I mean, that's now a sign of success. So how, what were your first steps or what do you suggest to people to take their first steps to even know, are they too stressed out? Because stress Mm -hmm. is also a good thing too. They tell you you have to have a bit of stress in your life or a bit of, you know, whatever. So how do you take that first step? Yeah. And, and honestly, in my book, I have a lot of that too. There is good, bad, good stress and bad stress. There's the good stress that gives you that adrenaline rush, Right, right? Right. You're stressed, but you're excited or you're, you know, you're excited to see someone, see someone, you can get your heart rate going in that regard or many other things in life. But the bad stress is when it really impacts your internal system. And in ultimately, that can be from emotional stress, from mental stress, um, from anything else like that. And it, it impacts your physical health. And that's exactly what happened to me. So I would suggest in my recommendations to people now, because I do get a lot of people asking me about my story and about, Mm -hmm. you know, they want to prevent something like that happening to them, but they also realize that they are maybe perhaps my age, have, you know, same situation with children, a career, um, a busy lifestyle. So they want to take note. And I would say the first thing, and believe me, believe me, Denise, I have to, <laughs> I have to remind myself every day, as you know, um, of the same thing. But I have to look at how I'm actually changing in regards to um, my personality. One, if I'm getting agitated more than ever, that's a sure sign of something I need to slow down. There's got to be something that's irking me, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's leading up to stress. Other daily stressors would be doing too much, putting too much on your plate, and and really feeling like you just have to fit it all in in your 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Because that's one thing I just realized, that I just can't do it all. And I was born a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. I mean, most women are, and certainly some men are. But I definitely am myself. And that was one of the things I recognized. And I mean, one of the other things I had to learn to do was say no to people and say no, not only to, you know, certain work obligations or drop off and pickups of, you know, the kids or school and and maybe carpool or get my husband to do it or my sister at the time. I really had to look at all of the obligations I kind of adhered to in a day. And I think that if people really start realizing or getting, first of all, the physical side, if you start getting out of breath doing things that you would normally be fine doing. Like Mm -hmm. me walking up the stairs was getting tough. Mm -hmm. I was 39 years old. I was in pretty decent shape, ate pretty well. I went to yoga. I mean, there was no reason for me to be having that kind of um, shortness of breath. Um, other things too would be, of course, aches and pains. So this is was was one of the big things I researched and I learned from um, a naturopath and then also my cardiologist at the time was that there are different signs and symptoms for men and women for heart issues or even beyond that, just stress levels. If, you, if a woman starts feeling aches in her back, in her upper back, in her neck, in her 
the area that you would want a massage normally, but it's mm-hmm. kind of sharp pains rather than just needing a massage and getting a, a knot out. That is a bit of a sign. Also, if you're starting to feel indigestion, when you really know that you you aren't, you haven't eaten anything uh, bizarre or, or anything, that's a sure sign that you have to slow down as well. Um, and then again, just, you know, with me, I suffer from migraines and I know at that time I had more than normal. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a sure sign. Now, again, I'm no doctor, that is for sure. And I cannot cannot (laughs) be, I wish I was, but I I just have learned really through my own experience in what I physically, emotionally, and even mentally kind of experienced at that time. And, you know, like you, you just mentioned it, even self, self self-doubt. I mean, that can be something, you know, the whole imposter syndrome. Right, right. It can be because when you are feeling self-doubt or lack of confidence or potentially just feeling like you have to, you know, be, um, you know, everything to everyone, um, you start to put that pressure on yourself and unknowingly you're really putting pressure on yourself physically and of course emotionally. So that's another stress trigger as well. And all of these things, as I look back on them and reflect, were so evident at the time, but of course I didn't. I just ignored them. I mean, that was my my biggest mistake at the time was I ignored them and I didn't go to the doctor or talk to someone about what I should do to appease it. Well, you know what I really want to know, because I identify with this very, very much, and I'm sure many of our listeners do. And most of our listeners, as you know, were parents of adult children. So we're in our 50s, 60s, where mid 60s, even late 60s, where some of these kinds of things could be happening. On the other hand, we've lived our whole lives as people pleasers. I know that I even have a hard time relaxing. So when you say you started to say no to people and no to obligations, what are some of the words we could use? You know, sometimes we feel like we've built up this reputation or whatever to be there for people all the time. And then we get to a point in our lives that we can't really because we do need to take care of ourselves. How do we stop? Mm -hmm. It's really tough, isn't it? And I I do emphasize this quite a bit in my book. I I have 10 signs that you need to slow down. I was going to get to that. So why don't you get to that now if you want? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was just going to mention that one of the biggest ones is learning to say no. And as you mentioned, it's not only saying no to work obligations or, you know, those kind of things outside of the household, but it's learning to say no to your friends and your family. And in order to do that, Believe me, it's tough. I mean, yeah. you don't want to feel like you're letting people down. I think that's the whole thing. And that's where I came from. Well, but especially think- when our whole lives we've been the person that's kept people up. Absolutely. And you, you hit the nail on the head because <laughs> I am one of those people that a lot of people come to me. I've been told before I should go into coaching or even... <laughs> Or even human relation or human reason. Right, right. I'm one of those people pleasers. I'm a conversationalist. I'm a communications major at the end of the day. And a lot of people come to me with their issues or problems. And now I am having, you know, here I am having issues or at least stress issues in my life. And I didn't feel like I could be vulnerable and let people know. And that includes the ones closest to me. Mm -hmm. One of the things you asked about what specifically maybe people could say to people. Mm -hmm. I mean, when it comes to your friends, I mean, one, they should understand. Um, They're probably most likely going through similar things. So I would say something like, you know, I cannot go to yoga class or to make it to coffee tomorrow. Let's try it for next week because I really need to take some time for myself and I need to just be on my own or tend to these other things. I love you, but please understand that I will definitely take a rain check. Go ahead. I was going to say, and then sometimes I have the whole FOMO. 
you know, where, oh, I want to go to coffee with that friend because I need to see them. And then I have a lunch after that. And then I have a dinner after that. And then I've got to get my work done. Sort of this idea of, I think you mentioned a lot of it in your, in your book too. And I'd like to get to that, you know, meditation, eating habits. We don't have to be part of everything all the time. No. And you know, you know what, you, you're right again with the FOMO because I still get it today. It's right. not like, oh, I think too often, especially with friends and with, with groups of women, when we get together, we often think, well, that is our, our self-care time to chat, to, you know, right. run things by them. But I tell you what, that can add up because when your friends all have their issues and you have your own and you're talking and you're going over things and talking about the kids that can actually it depends if you're if you're an an empath like myself you take all that in and then it adds more stress to my own life you're right you're I've never thought about that because I take everyone's issues and problems so seriously yes and it really does add on so it's really interesting because again I have always been that type of person and I do allude again to that my kind of my my background in the book and it's a it's a it's an easy read a short book but it does allude to my childhood and you know, the pressures I put on myself as a kid and in my, you know, athletics and then going through, you know, my career and trying to get on top in my, in, in the media world. And I think that all of that is just in my nature, but it's also something that adds up. So when you add other people's, you know, issues or, and you want to be there for your friends, don't get me wrong or your partner, Mm -hmm. but I think we just underestimate that, you know, the power of that and how it can impact other people, like others. So if you were to say, you know, I really do have to just take some time on my own this weekend or this Saturday, and I will take a rain check and I love you, you know, I'm sure they'll understand. The harder one is when you have to do it with work. <laughs> That's really hard because it pays yeah. the bills. It does. And I tell you what, when you're in certain roles um, and, you know, you're either trying to prove yourself as you're, you know, climbing the ladder or if you're already at the top and that's a whole other stress level because you're mm-hmm. trying to be there. And that's one of the things that really impacted me in, when, you know, my whole heart issue happened was that I was already kind of at the top of my game in Toronto. I was, you know, really at the great publishing house, you know, leading a magazine on TV, doing radio shows. It was awesome. I mean, that's what I do and I love it, but it is that pressure that I put on myself to be in the public eye, you know, not only, you know, trying to look good, but sound good and be good and also be a great positive influence on everyone. Think about the pressure of that. And I'm not, and Hey, I'm no Oprah. <laughs> I, wish I was, but can you imagine? I mean, no. there, there are pressures that we put on ourselves that are just innate. And I think that my book adheres to a lot of those. And it's only really a stepping stone. It's just really a guidebook or a guideline to help at least kind of prompt some of the things you can do. And that's why, and I know we'll talk about it, but I have like brain breaks, mental health exercises in there that people can take a moment and journal and think about some of the things that they're doing in their life that they could possibly lessen or maybe even not do altogether. And it might help. So I want to talk about that. That'll be after this next question, because I really want to talk about the elephant in the room. You're still a magazine editor. You still have children. You wrote your book. And now you have this new women's platform that we're going to talk about shortly. How is this slowing you down? And how do you handle all of this with intention? Maybe with this, you can tie some of the suggestions in that women can do. Right. Well, hey, I like I said, I am no <laughs> I to follow my own my own advice. And right. I admit this book is a little great little reminder. I wrote and I will get to that. I wrote this book actually is very therapeutic for me. 
And that's one of the things I really advise women to do is to journal and to get their thoughts out on paper, to write about it, or even just to speak about it. You know, just just talk out loud. It's even crazy, but just do it. Get your voice out there and about all the things that are going on in your life. And, and me today, you're right. I'm a magazine editor by day. I actually help with several other magazines on the side out of Arizona. And I do my women's storytelling platform, which is also a passion project of mine. So I do have a lot on the go. I have the children at home and they're running around. You know, my one's going off to college in the fall and my other guy travels a lot with his sport hockey. We're still on the go. And I hockey, think that's the hardest sport for a boy in the time. Oh my gosh, the time for hockey. Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. And actually the other one is a nationally ranked motocrosser. So that oh one's my a gosh. Yeah. And he travels quite a bit with that, my 17 and year old. So that believe me, both my boys are at the height of their they are really, really immersed in their sports and it takes a lot of time and planning and divide and conquer and not to mention financial. Right. Kind of obligation. So again, all that's part of life. I think one of the biggest things I do is I, I have learned to say no to certain things. I am, I still get overworked sometimes and I kind of like go, oh no, I have to do this because I promised. But I have actually taken a step back from some things that I don't feel really will serve me. And when I say that, it might mean, I don't mean in a, in a professional way where it won't serve my career. I mean me, my health. If, if it's something that I can do maybe two back-to-back events, but I can't do three. I can't do four. And there are opportunities. I mean, when you work in the media world and you're a member of the press, mm-hmm. you get invited to a lot of things. And you know, you're in Denver, Colorado and Aspen and Vail and all over. I mean, there are things you could go to 24 seven. So I have stepped back a lot from that. I've learned to kind of set boundaries and that's a huge one. I mean, I could write another book about that, but setting boundaries around your world and what is priority. I think I I also have to continue to remind myself what my priorities are. And my biggest priorities are my, obviously my family, my children, my household, and then also my my passions. And that was one of the reasons why I started readilylife.com, which is a passion business of mine that really spawned out of my book. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes, but I want to ask a couple more questions. What role does your husband play in all of this? How does he help keep you on track? Because I do think this stress thing and keeping your life balanced is just as important for men. They can have the same kinds of things happen to them when they take on too much. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, of course they can. So, I mean, I, I always talk as though it, you know, I, my audience is more female, but men have also funny enough, read my book and taken things away. Right. I think that men have a very, you know, I mean, like in any partnership, they should be supportive of their spouse in anything they're doing. But in my situation and, you know, my husband and I have been married for almost 20 years. So he's seen me kind of, you know, at my worst and at my best, especially when all of this went down in, um, with my heart. And, you know, I think the biggest role that they can play is being there as a support system, being able to say, you know what, I've got this, you, you know, you know, do what you need to do. I'll take the kids somewhere and, and vice versa, right. Mm -hmm. And vice versa. Mm -hmm. I think it just has to come into play. Um, My husband's been there through it all. I must admit one of the, also the biggest stresses for us was after the, after my heart attack was that we, you know, we moved to the U.S. from Canada, from another country. And a lot of people do it, but it was also that that added to it. And so we came here as a foursome, the, my, my husband, I, and my kids. 
you know, we're Canadian citizens living here, permanently residents now. And, you know, that was a big, a big stressor too. So, I mean, I think at the end of the day, he had to understand that I had some health issues I had to see to. He, he just gave me my space to do that, to clear my mind, to get through some things. When we first moved here, I actually took the time to write my book. So that was one of the ways. Oh, that, that makes sense. Okay. That makes sense. Right. Okay. Well, I'll be honest. You know what? Moving to the U.S. is is no easy easy feat these days. And you know, we um, there was a lot of red tape um, when we moved here and working with you know an immigration lawyer and all that. At the end of the day, I took some time. I took almost about eight or nine months to write my book to get situated with the kids at school and, you know, doctors and everything else. I was going to say you had to find your doctors, right? All that. And not only that, we had, you know, there was a ton of things we had to do administration wise with, you know, getting set up here. And, you know, just, there's a lot of different things that we had to do to prepare to come here. And so when I got here, I took some time to write that book. And those several months gave me the clarity I needed in regards to not only my book and my mission, but where I wanted to take my message. And that's, you know, ultimately what led me to where I am today. So again, I always have to keep reminding myself and I am practice what I preach when I can, like, you know, talking on these podcasts or or anything, I really try to keep that momentum up because for me, I like to remind other people, but it's also a great reminder for myself. So I'm sure, I'm sure everybody else, I still I still put a lot of pressure on myself. So one of the quotes from your book I really liked, it was from a Danish philosopher that said, life can only be understood backwards, but must be lived forwards. Mm -hmm. This resonated so much with me. Tell me what you learned from this and how we might be able to change our life process to move forward with intention. Well, one of the things, again, my book was very reflective. It was, Mm -hmm. it's a memoir, but it was more of a reflective piece than anything. It's very easy to read and conversational and and what I had to do in order to do that, and I did this on my own. I didn't have a, you know, a, a writing coach. I'm a journalist, so I didn't. Wow. I didn't have anyone kind of guide me through this. I just started writing. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, and that's why this quote resonated, was I had to look at my past, and I had to look at, okay, why am I the type of person to be such a people pleaser or not want to show my vulnerability in regards to if I am stressed or have pressure or I can't, don't feel like I can do it all. Why do I have the disease to please? And so this was something that I really had to look backwards. And that's why that quote helped because I looked back to my childhood and I thought, you know, I've always been this type of person. I mean, this isn't something that's new. And then I looked at, you know, going through university and then vying for those, you know, those postgraduate kind of opportunities. And then, you know, I studied abroad for six months. I mean, I did so many things. I'm very proud of myself and my, my very fortunate that my parents were there to support me. But I look at those things and I think, you know what? No one put those pressures on me but myself. Mm-hmm. That was me doing that, which meant that I was looking back in order to kind of heal moving forward. And again, that's where that quote came in. It resonated with me when I saw it. And it was really one of those things that I just thought, you know, when you look at yourself, you have to take a really deep dive into your own person. Like we, we could blame everyone in the world for our stress, right? We could blame our boss, our, our you know, our kids, the grandkids, like you could, you know, blame. You are them. so right. This is very key. This is very key. <laughs> yeah. And we, we could blame, that's where, you know, road rage, you could blame the other driver. I mean, you could blame everything under, everyone under the sun. 
But at the end of the day, if you don't take care of your own, uh, basically your own doing and your own being and where perhaps you play a role in your stress, then you're not going to be able to kind of heal and move on and grow. And that was that whole caveat, because as I was writing my book, I'm a very reflective person anyway, and writing is is really my form of therapy. That's the way I deal with things. As I was writing, I was looking back at certain kind of pivotal points in my life and looking at how they impacted my stress levels. And then I was really able to kind of take those and just apply them. So now I can kind of think, okay, I remember when back then this happened and it didn't turn out so well stress level wise. So when I come into that situation again now or moving forward, I'm able to really dig deep and remember those key pivotal learnings and I can apply them to today. So that, that was that whole quote really resonated with me too. I really loved it. So before we start talking about Red Lily, what I'd really love you to do is give us two or three takeaways from the book that I really want our listeners to think about and encourage them to read the book because it was wonderful and it helped me a lot. It really gave me pause, even if it was just reading to say to me, Denise, slow down, take care of yourself. And I think what you said earlier, we're in control of ourselves. Everyone else isn't in control of us. So what would be two or three takeaways from the book before we get to Red Lily? Absolutely. Thanks for asking that because I have a ton of tips in here, as you've seen, and different things um, like four tips to change your life and stress less, you know, and also also things like five ways to de-stress your life in the day to day. And one of the biggest things I think to answer your question is mixing the mom guilt. I think that, again, we've heard this, right? I mean, it's not a new concept or a new topic that's been talked about on, you know, lifestyle TV shows. But I really, really have to adhere to this because the mom guilt is huge or the grandmother guilt, I'm sure too. Right, right, right. Or the, you know, we, we have guilt even when our children are adults. Anyway, exactly. go ahead. Right. Yeah. And my, my oldest now is going off to college. I mean, they're getting, you know, he's getting up there. And so I still have the guilt about not being able to appease everything for them. Right. Not being able to, when I do now have to say, you know what, I can't, I cannot take you so-and-so because I need to do this for me or I need to do this for work, either way, I just have to really think about it. So nixing the mom guilt is huge. um, Because you know what we have to understand is that they're going to love us anyway. I think that's something that we have to, we have to get over that whole feeling that if we don't appease them or see to their needs, every beck and call, um, that they're not, they're not going to love us. I mean, that is really crazy, right? Our kids will adore us anyway. They need us. And even as adults, I'm sure, like when I get to that stage, I know they'll always need their mom at some point. And so even if it's a little bit few and far between, but I feel like the nixing the mom guilt is huge. That was one of the really key key learnings. And then one of the other things that I always like to talk about is do some things great, but not all things good. And I think, again, that comes down to really prioritizing what you do on the day to day. And in your life in general, instead of really spreading yourself thin, too thin, in too many things, really kind of like scaling back or streamlining and really putting your priorities in place and sticking to those. But on that note, your priorities can change. They can change over time. It's just that I think you can't spread yourself too thin. And those were two of the key kind of elements in the book that I talk about and how it applied to my life and my situation. And again, I'm still learning too. I mean, don't be surprised if there's other books coming down the road. 
Oh, good for you. Good for you. So let's talk about Red Lily. This came after the book. And why did you create Red Lily? And what is its purpose? Absolutely. Well, yeah, so I was at a pivot, another turning point, And I'm just that type of person. Every couple of years, I'm like, mm, I need to do something to keep challenging myself, keep broadening my audience and my message. And so I was going to write another book at that time. So this is two, a couple, two years ago. And I, I still will. But at the time, I was like, you know, since my first book came out, I had a lot of women and men come forward to me and love it so much and say, you know what, I just can resonate. I wish I could either write a book or start a blog or get my message out there too, because the way you've done it, Carrie, has helped a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that made me think, wow, you know, I could help them by creating a platform and creating, you know, a kind of a, a, an outlet, if you will, or a vehicle for other people to share their stories. So that's how Red Lily came to be. I have the registered trademark in the U.S., and it's basically um, a women's lifestyle platform. And now I have a publishing storytelling arm of it as well, where people can submit their stories in their own words. And it's a really different platform because it's non-judgmental. I've come from the traditional journalism and press world where we are like editors by trade and we heavily edit things. And, you know, we have, we have brand guidelines that we have to adhere to and, you, you know, stylistically the words. And it's very kind of rigid. And so, and I still kind of work in that world. But this passion project of mine, Red Lily, I wanted it to be different. I wanted it to be a place that not only was my own and I could do what I want with it, but where I could share people's stories and they could share them in their own voices. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's really unique because most magazines or, or, or media outlets, they have an overarching voice, right? You might have different contributors or writers, but overall, you have to kind of keep it to that audience. Well, mine is a global platform, as all, you know, obviously websites are, but I really try to give people a voice, their own voice. And so I don't heavily edit. I just go through for minor, obviously, grammar, mm-hmm. uh, spelling. But other than that, I really try to give people a platform. And so since then, I, I launched redlilylife.com, which is obviously the platform um, where Red Lily lives. And I have over 150 contributors worldwide now who have shared their stories. Yes. And that's only from me organically getting the word out there, sharing it wherever I can in my own kind of circles and social media and and my own stuff. And really that's what Red Lily is. It's a place for people to share their stories and also to basically be amongst other people who are very like-minded. Mostly people have been through something pretty big. I mean, and this doesn't have to just be health oriented. Right. I have different sections on there from health, wellness, fitness, career, relationships to just life lessons. You can submit to any of those. So I have people that have talked about going through divorces or going, you know, into a second marriage or children leaving the home or career changes and also breast cancer survivors. I've had several. It really is an open platform for you for anyone to tell their story. And again, very non-judgmental. It's me. I'm the one who vets all of the content. I get it up there myself. And, and I've had a lot of great feedback. One caveat, though, is that all of the messages and stories and submissions I get, if you read my submission guidelines, every one of them has to have a positive message at the end. Mm-hmm. That is me. I don't want the whole platform to be, oh, my goodness, humdrum, all these issues. 
I really want there to be a good learning at the end. And so that's one thing I really try to get out there to people who are looking to submit is you have to have learned from your experience in some way. You may not have overcome it completely, or you may not have gotten over it or it's gone. But if you're in that healing process, I really want just somebody to think positively about what they're sharing so that it can help other people and also help themselves at the same time. So that's kind of the gist of Red Lily. I am really, really trying to grow it now as well. And I want to ask you a little bit more about Red Lily, the stories. But first, I want to ask you why Red Lily? Where did the name come from? Yeah, you know, it's really funny. I get asked that a lot. I did a big brainstorming. I mean, this is the entrepreneur in me, right? Right. right. Literally brainstorming names, as we all do for businesses or brands or, or, or book titles. And I was literally going through and thinking, what's what's something that represents not only me, but the you know the contributors who I'm going to be engaging with in my community on on the platform. And I was thinking of like a yin yang, like we all have good and bad. We all have, you know, great times in life. We have hard times in life. So it was kind of like a balance. I'm a Libra after all. So the balance <laughs> is my sign. So on that note, I was kind of doing like, you know, opposites. And I was literally at my kitchen table, like brainstorming, like literally, I still have my notes. <laughs> and I was thinking, well, what's a really strong word or a strong color or strong something that represents you know, love and passion and energy and boldness and, you know, empowerment. And that's kind of where I came up with red because it's a strong word and that's what it, you know, exemplifies. And red is also my favorite color. So that worked out really well. And then I was saying, what would go nice with that? And I was literally just thinking of the other, you know, the yang to the ying is that, you know, what's something that represents vulnerability or innocence or uh, journeys or, you know, going through trauma or, or struggles and coming out on the other side. And I thought of the flower of the lily. It was just something that honestly, I was writing down a million different ones and red lily just kind of, huh, I just thought, wow, it's short. It's sweet. It's memorable. And it just gave that yin yang kind of balance um, to my platform. So I registered it. I got it. And I mean, that's kind of where it's all spawned from. Yeah. Where the book, the name came from. Well, you know, I really believe in stories and that's why I really wanted to talk to you. I think hearing other people's stories help us in so many different ways. I always listen to the podcast, The Moth, but again, those are edited and that sort of thing, but I love Mm -hmm. stories. Are there one or two stories that have been shared that stand out that you could share with us? I mean, honestly, there's so many amazing ones, but I tell you what, well, there's been several um, that I'd love to share if we have another. Yeah, we don't have a whole lot of time. So maybe one that really stands out to you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I'm going to say this one and I know it'll sound very kind of sad at first because the woman since has passed away, Um, but she was one of my very first contributors, Sylvana from Denver. And she was going through breast cancer and she did ultimately pass away. She was, she was a friend of mine. Uh, we met through kind of work circles, but she became a friend and a confidant. And she was going through this real struggle for years. And I kind of came in almost more towards the mid to the end of her journey. Um, but her story is really, really amazing because she shared her path and where she felt like she needed to leave a legacy. And that's where she really resonated, I thought, with my platform and my listeners because you know, sharing your story, she was all about that. And that's why she supported me so much and wanted to share hers. But she felt that sharing your story, no matter what you're going through, and how old you are is a legacy to others. She wanted to leave her message. So she wrote about her 
breast cancer, her whole journey, her ups and downs over the years. She even did, um, you know, an art show here in Denver. She uh, followed her whole journey through her photographs. And that's what she she showed. Oh, in, my gosh. That sounds so beautiful. And so anyway, long story short, and again, not to leave on a really, you know, a negative note, but her her message was so thought-provoking and heartfelt. My readers at the time, and this, she was one of my first contributors when I launched. She was on there. She wrote a reflection in her own words, very heartfelt, and it's still on my website, by the way. And so, and then she soon passed after that, which, you know, was such, it almost was like the whole message of it and how it applies to Red Lily was the fact that as women and men, and we share our stories, we want them to live on forever. And I really created this place. It was new Red Lily at the time, but she wanted to be the first to share her story. And it really demonstrated that leaving your story for others to heal from and to learn from and to take her words in and hopefully apply them, they will be there forever. And I think that honestly, if I had to choose one, it would have to be her, Sylvana, because of the whole, you know, her passing, but that her message is still very strong in my community. So it would have to be hers. For yeah, sure. And it's, it's not that negative. Yes, she has passed, but she's yes. left such yes. a beautiful story for so many people to live with. So that's really wonderful. So tell yeah. us before we close, I want to make sure um, listeners know how they can find out about Red Lily, how they can submit their story, because, you know, most of our listeners are older. They have a lot of stories to share. And I would encourage them, as you say, helping even with your stress is journaling and sharing your story is somewhat part of journaling. So tell us how they can submit or get involved. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I, I would love that. I am open. Um, so my website is redlilylife.com. And there's um, one of the tabs in the navigation is, you know, share your story. It's very, you know, self-explanatory. It's very simple. I made it very, very simple to do. You follow the steps. You can journal and, you know, send in your story. That's the other thing. There's submission guidelines on there, but they're just really to read through and to have something to prompt you. The length um, you know, I do give a guideline of, you know, between 800 and, and 1200 words, but it doesn't have to be. I mean, I think that's the luxury of this platform, too, is that if you have something that's just short and sweet, but you want to get it out there or maybe share it with your loved ones because you know that it's now out there, you can do that. So, yeah, redlilylife.com. And I also want to just throw out there that a lot of people, once they've shared their story with me, they have just been so flabbergasted at how far their message has gotten in a positive way. Mm-hmm. I mean, some, some of the contributors have just, you know, shared the link on their Facebook page or whatever. And, you know, finally, their friends and family are reading something that perhaps they've never known about them before. And the positive response has been incredible. And I think, I mean, there's been a few people that have even wanted to go on to write some books like I have after that, and I can help with that. But other than that, it's just all on my website. You'll also see a ton of other examples of stories. And I should mention, too, that I have had a few people submit their photographs in regards to some people like to share their message or their journey through photographs. There's all different ways to express yourself. So this is a writing platform, but I would certainly be open to poems or lyrics or even photographs. I've done some photo essays on there as well. And so if that's kind of what, you know, makes you feel heartfelt and and satisfied about getting a a story out there, then I am definitely open to that as well. So it's very easy to get to redlilylife.com and on all social platforms at Red Lily Life. Well, I want to say, since our community is all about building healthy relationships with our adult children, 
I would love to see many of our listeners share their story because that will help all of us share stories about your adult children, about the struggles you've had, about how you've come out on the other side. What are the positive ups and downs about being a grandmother, being a mother-in-law? All of those sorts of things would be great stories to share and also ones that would help all of us. So I think it's a great platform and I hope we'll all get involved in it. Thank you so much. And you know what I would love to see from your audience in particular, wouldn't it be lovely to have some people write some letters? You could write a letter to, you know, a loved one or to your grandchild and share it that way. I mean, wouldn't that be a lovely way to do it? Yeah, that's beautiful, beautiful. Mm -hmm. So before we close, because we're hitting almost 50 minutes, I usually only go 45. So we've been very engaged here. Is there anything, anything else you want to say before we close for our listeners to take away? Absolutely. Well, All I can say is that I'm also here if anybody wants to contact me, if you want to talk about the process of getting your story out there and the writing aspect, I actually do calls on that type of thing, consulting and coaching, because sometimes that's a big, some people are afraid to do it and they don't know where to start when you write your story, right? So I just- That's absolutely true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's just, it's an easy way I can communicate and I, I definitely would love to hear from people. So again, a takeaway is that I'm here. I'm here if you want to submit and share your story, but I'm also here in the beginning stages before that. So if you check out redlilylife.com and um, you can see everything on that in order to get a hold of me, you know, take it from there. But other than that, you know, health and happiness really stems from the heart. That is one of the biggest things that I believe in. I'm trying to do it myself and no one's perfect. I think that would be the biggest takeaway. Well, thank you so much, Carrie, for joining us. And I'm just going to say that I think your heart's gotten stronger and bigger since your 39-year-old incident. So thanks for sharing your heart with all of us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's a wrap. This was certainly a different kind of episode, one that really focused more on us I hope all of you will check out redlilylife.com and submit a story. I'm going to do it for sure. I think it will be fun to read each other's stories. And also check out Carrie's book, My Heart, Myself, A Guide for Women Who Do Too Much. If you identify with that, it certainly will be a book to set you on the right track. Well, there's so much more from Bite Your Tongue to come, so stay tuned and remember to follow us on social media and reach out if you have feedback or questions. You can always email us at biteyourtonguepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. Thanks again so much to our audio engineer, Connie Gorant Fisher. And in the meantime, as always, remember, sometimes you just have to bite your tongue.